If you like Area 45, you're going to enjoy the Hoover Institution's other podcasts, Uncommon Knowledge, The Classicist with Victor Davis Hanson, and The Libertarian with Richard Epstein. Subscribe now to the Hoover Podcast at hoover.org slash podcasts. That's hoover.org slash podcasts. Hoover Podcast, ideas defining a free society. Hello, it's Wednesday, January the 31st, and welcome to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast examining the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States. The last time I looked, that's Donald Trump. I'm Bill Whalen, a Hoover Research Fellow. Joining me in studio here on the University of Stanford campus is Dr. David Brady. He's the Hoover Institution's Davies Family Senior Fellow, a Stanford University political scientist and watcher of elections. Dave, thanks for coming down today. Thanks for having me. Did you watch the State of the Union last night? I did. You did? You stuck, you, did you write it out for the whole 80 minutes? I did not. You did not? <laughs> no. <laughs> At what point did you check out? Well, I saw where he was going with the speech, and uh, I was pretty sure that when I woke up this morning that CNN, MSNBC would not like it, right. Fox News would like it, and guess what? That's what happened. Right, back to business as usual. Yeah. What, uh, so what, if anything, surprised you about the speech? Was it what you anticipated, or did he throw any curveballs at you? Uh, no, there were no curveballs. He talked about uh, he talked about unifying the country, and mm -hmm. and uh, the Republican side stood up and applauded, and the mm -hmm. Democratic side, uh, if you looked at Nancy Pelosi and uh, <coughs> Bernie Sanders, you could see that he hadn't unified them. They just wouldn't budge, would they? No, they would not. But you know, the funny thing is, if you watched an Obama State of the Union speech, what would happen? Same thing. Democrats would applaud, Republicans would sit in stony exactly. silence. And so it goes. So your friend of mine, Doug Rivers, Hoover colleague, he also works for YouGov, the polling company. He runs YouGov. YouGov has a partnership with CBS News, Dave, and they do a poll on these sorts of things. They looked at the State of the Union. They called up people who watched the State of the Union, and here's what they asked them. What did they think? Here are their findings, Dave. Eight in ten Americans who watched tonight... State of the Union felt that the president was trying to unite the country rather than divide. So 80% thought he was a uniter, not a divider. Two-thirds said the speech made them feel proud. Just a third said it made them feel safer. Fewer said the speech made them feel angry or scared. So in balance, more people felt safer than scared. According to CBS YouGov, Dave, 9 in 10 Republicans said the speech made them feel proud. Just over half of Democrats said it made them feel angry. Independence. Independents who watched the speech, nearly half of whom counted themselves the president's supporters, they tended to approve of the speech and said it made them feel good. Dave, Trump got an economic credit uptick. 51% of people going into the speech gave him credit for the economy improving. After the speech, 54% gave him a thumbs up for the economy, saying it's Trump's economy. I've thrown a lot of data at you. You're a political scientist. You study elections. What, if anything, in that list of, of answers strikes you as relevant to this election? Uh, nothing. I think there's a, kind of a self-selection process on who watches. Right. Uh, my guess is that there are more president supporters watched it. Uh, people who don't like the president didn't watch it. So in all those numbers, uh, my guess is they're slightly weighted towards the president's side of the equation. That's a good call. I think about 42% of people in the poll, Dave, said they're Republicans. In a normal YouGov poll, it's never never 42%. Exactly. So you're right, it's weighted in that favor. Yep. But nothing in that really sounds germane to the election year estimation. The only thing would be uh, the slight uptick. Uh, I think I have a piece coming out in Real Clear Politics that showed 
as the tax uh, as the tax issue uh, started out very unpopular, mm -hmm. but as you got closer to the passage, it uh, support for it ticked up, right. particularly among Republicans and independents, uh, and those those are obviously crucial to the Trump win. Without mm -hmm. independents carrying the independents, he couldn't have won the presidency, right. and uh, the support for the tax is uh, up now. And it uh, generated, in my view, an uptick in the support for the president's economy. So among independents, he'd been down. Uh, right. People, you, know, you ask a question, do you approve of the way the president's handling the overall? How's he handling foreign affairs? How's he handling the economy? And on the economy, uh, he went from a negative number among independents to a positive number. In fact, among Democrats, Republicans, and independents, he's higher now in our September, in the YouGov September 15th poll, mm -hmm. than he was, uh, not September, I'm sorry, the January 15th poll. Right. He's higher then than he was at the beginning of his presidency. Yeah. So I think that's positive news for him. But I, I don't think even that's going to be determinative in 2018. Now, you know I'm a recovering speechwriter. Yes. So I delight in these events, uh, not just a spectacle, but I really enjoy listening and trying to figure out how it was written how it's constructed, how it flows, the segues and so forth. I thought he did something very smart at the beginning of the speech, Dave. He spent a lot of time explaining the tax cut and explaining the economy. I thought he did a very effective job of explaining it in ways that it hits Americans. And I think it's important in this regard. Uh, he has a ready-made ad coming this fall, and it's going to be Nancy Pelosi. And it's going to be Nancy Pelosi's comment about the tax cut just being crumbs to the American people. The idea that $1,000 in your pocket is just crumbs. So I thought what Trump did last night was very smart in that he explained what this means to you in real terms, in terms of dollars, in terms of not having to fill out the same old tax code that you had before. So I thought that was good salesmanship in this regard. I think that's insightful. Uh, the data, the, ver the, the real clear politics piece, mm -hmm. we have uh, N saying, you know, the Democrats might not want to hit this tax issue given that among independents, the very voters they need, right. he's up on the state of the economy. He's even up among Democrats on the state of the economy. And particularly if, as I now read independent economic forecasters in Washington, D.C., are saying that up over 80% of Americans will see some boost in their pay. So I, I do think you're right. I think it's not a good idea for the Democrats to focus on that issue because mm -hmm. I think people will notice it. Second thing I thought he did smartly, Dave, was he um, did a good job of explaining what's wrong with government when it can, when it comes to construction. And he talks about why it took you know, one year to build the Empire State Building. It takes 10 years to getting build, a builder's permit. I think politicians for a long time in America have found that it's easy to score points when criticizing the government. Remember Al Gore, when he's elected vice president, what does he do? He goes on Letterman. He starts talking about goofy things that government does. Remember, reinventing government. I think right. Rigo was their, yep. was their program. So I think smart uh, for Trump to go down that attack as well, just attacking the fallacy of government itself. Yep, I, I, it seemed reasonable, so I'm not surprised that he got as high a ratings as he did. Right. Uh, immigration, uh, interested in your thoughts on his approach to immigration. Uh, I think one of the problems with this topic is this. Given their druthers, both parties go to extremes to talk about this. So. A Democrat will talk about immigration in terms of absolutely heroic terms. It's not just a dreamer, but a dreamer who has served in the military and taken a bullet for his country and so forth, just absolutely heroic terms. Trump goes the opposite direction, and it's not just the problem of somebody 
breaking the law by coming into the country. It's gangs. It's homicidal illegal immigrant gangs. So that to me doesn't bode well in terms of compromise if you're going to come from that extreme to the other. I'm not sure, Dave, how the two sides are going to find a middle point on this topic. No, one of the uh, points that's happened to immigration is if you remember the Bush uh, bill, uh, uh, the George W. Bush bill had uh, sponsors on both sides. Ted Kennedy, when he was still alive, was supportive of it. We've now changed that to a Democratic extreme on one hand and a Republican extreme on the other side. The the right approach seems would seem to me to be the Susan Collins and the group of 25 working on it, where you say, we want to help these kids out, uh, the dreamers out, but on the other hand, we need a more secure border. So if you look back at the Bush bill in 2000, I think, five, mm-hmm. um, that bill had provisions to uh, hire more guards, put in more cameras, et cetera, et cetera, i.e., right. That's where the compromise has to be. You have to say we need stronger borders and we'll take care of these people. Because otherwise, I think the American people sit there and they say, well, it's just going to be more of the same 10 years from now. And that's why Obama, with those huge Democratic majorities, he couldn't get, he couldn't get, he did not get an immigration bill through. So I think the issue's been polarized. And unless we get back to some compromise, in regard to A, strengthening the borders, and B, taking care of these kids, I don't think they're going to get anywhere. Right. In the final one-third of the speech, he talks about foreign policy. He talks about problems overseas. So the speech is about two-thirds domestic and one-third foreign policy. But, Dave, that strikes me as what the Republicans probably want the midterm election to be, predominantly on an improving economy. They do. uh, My view is their only chance in the 2018 election. I mean, their only chance to not suffer some losses or not do as well as they might have expected mm-hmm. uh, is uh, to focus on the economy because that's the that's the the economy's in great shape and get the president getting credit for it is the right way to go and the more he gets credit for it the more republican candidates will say he's done a good job on that and that's what we want to run on historically dave what is the lag time between improving economy and translating in polls, Americans feeling the economy is getting better. I've heard two months, six months, eight months, a year. What what number do you fix? Well, we don't have a number that's any good anymore. And, and the reason is uh, when you now, <clears throat> beginning in the 90s, in a minuscule way, but today the dominant variable that explains how you think the economy is doing is what party you're in. Mm-hmm. So in... Um, Late October, just one number, in late October of 2016, mm-hmm. 18% of Democrat, of Republicans thought the economy was getting better. On January of 2017, almost 80% of Republicans thought the economy was doing better. And it flipped uh, for the Democrats from Bush to... Uh, so, the fl- so the main variable that seems to drive this and... Uh, John Farrajohn, Brett Parker, and I have a paper on this where uh, over time from about 1990 to the present, you can see how party dominates. And we try to use the actual state of the economy. We use unemployment. We use uh, the stock market. We try and force the explanation away. Right. And we can't do it. So there's it. It's pretty much a partisan it's a partisan deal now. If, you, if you're a Republican, you think the economy... So the only one to really look at, in my view, is independents. What do they think? Right. So, so you're telling me that Republican voters will think the economy is doing better if it's simply the president tells them the economy is doing better? 
if there's, it doesn't even have to tell them as long as there's a, it'll, it'll, it'll jump him up a little. But as long as there's a Republican president, Republicans will say it's doing better. If there's a Democratic president, they'll say it's doing better. Right. So you don't do Twitter, but this is why people retweet on Twitter and why they retweet things that they agree with, what they like. <laughs> yes. Okay. So one of the downsides to having the State of the Union, well, besides the pageantry, we can have another talk about just yeah. the use of heroes in the gallery or things like that. Ronald Reagan to be blamed for this, by the yes. way. He started yeah. this. Lenny Skutnik. Um, it's the glut of data that comes afterwards, and it's not just the CBS YouGov poll. There are snapshot polls that go up on instantly on places like CNN and Drudge Report and so forth. There are polls that come out a couple of days later. We get obsessed with the idea of a Trump bump, and then we get obsessed with the idea of how Republicans are doing versus Democrats, and we look at the president's approval rating and so on and so forth. You, David, are a man of refined taste when it comes to politics. <laughs> you consume a lot, but you're very picky in what you consume. Let's take this for the listener through what you look at in terms of polling data right now. We are having this conversation on the last day of January, which means we are months away from an election, long time between now and, and Tuesday in November. What are you looking at right now in terms of data that you think is really relevant toward the November election? Okay, so in terms of the November election, the things you'll see, you'll see people talk about how's the economy doing. Mm -hmm. You'll see people ask, what's the generic poll? Right. You'll see uh, that generic poll is, if the election were held today, would you vote for a Republican or Democrat for Congress? Mm -hmm. uh, you'll see a state of the economy. Is the economy getting better? And all of those things really sort of are so tightly correlated with each other. Right. That so what uh, so what, what do I look for to go toward the election? I, I think all of those are reasonable. It's reasonable to look at the generic poll, mm -hmm. uh, pretty far out. Generic poll doesn't usually begin to get accurate for the election until a couple, right. months, six weeks before. Mm -hmm. It tightens or spreads. Um, the state of the economy is, as you pointed out earlier, always important. Right. Uh, that's the main thing. So if you look over time, what's the main issue Americans are concerned about? The economy, mm -hmm. how it's doing. And it's doing very well. And the third thing is the president's popularity right. makes a difference. Um, then there's the sort of the historical facts that in a first term, presidents normally lose seats. Although uh, Trump didn't have much in the way of coattails. So if you look at the Senate, they're down in the Senate. Uh, in the House, about the same, they lost a few in the House. They lost 10, 12 seats in the House. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have many coattails in 2016. Right. So he's probably not on the coattail basis going to lose as many. <clears throat> so Professor Rivers, who you mentioned earlier, and I have... Um, a new, a new data set where we try to look at all the elections, turnout, rise and fall, and turnout uh, from uh, on-year and off-year election, and the special elections. So what strikes me as unusual about this is, given the state of the economy, why is uh, Donald Trump still running a negative, on average, 16, 18 points? About 40% approve of the job he's doing, and about 55, 56% disapprove. Okay. And for a president in his first year, that's low, but for a president with the economy this high, that's phenomenal. Right. So I'm, so, so I'm looking at all of those things, but I think the thing that's gonna determine the 2018 election is who turns out. Right. 
All right, pop quiz trivia question. How many states in America right now, Dave, is Donald Trump at 50% or above? Oh, I don't know. Good question. 5, 10, 15, 20? I'd say probably 20. 20. It's 12. 12 states is at 50% of above. You look at the map, it's basically a belt, Dave, that runs from Oklahoma to West Virginia, and then where yep. you have a home, Montana, and yep. sort of the cluster of states around yep. there. So it's sort of upper, upper Midwest, and then through the kind of that sort of heartland stretch from, from in, the, in the southeast. And, and there are not many, many Democrats there. Not many Democrats there. That's why Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, was on TV this morning. What was he saying? I think it's a bad idea for my party to be so stony-faced at the State of the Union. So He's tried to stand, He right. started to stand up at one point, and then he looked around and sat back down because you could see he was the only one. One of the funniest moments of the speech is Bernie Sanders, actually. Trump gave a passage about welfare to work and responsibility, and Bernie started clapping. And then I think he kind of realized the camera was on him, so he's kind of looking at the camera, and then he starts clapping, and he's kind of sort of like tepidly clapping, so he's not making a lot of noise. And then he's looking around to see if anybody else is applauding. So it's, do I clap? How many times do I clap? If I clap, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do I, I do? I didn't see that one, but I, if you caught it, send it to me. That would be great. That was pretty funny. So, yeah, so Trump is at 50% or high in only 12 states. Whoa. So he asked the question, why is Donald Trump struggling in the polls? I don't think it's a challenging political science question, Dave. I think it's a four-word four answer, because he's Donald Trump. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more, yeah. and I think that hurts him most. If you look at Virginia, Alabama, uh, some Wisconsin, some races, uh, <laughs> what I think is that Republican, suburban, suburban and uh, Republican and independent women who voted for Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton don't like him, right? And they have turned out in those in the Virginia win and the Alabama win. They've turned out, and uh, they did in the Georgia one too. It made it much closer. And but there, the Democrats had a like a twelve-year-old kid who I didn't think he lived in Georgia. Right. Uh, so the point is, but even there, they came close. Right. So I think those women are unhappy with uh, you, as you said, the four four-word answer. They're unhappy, and I don't see the I don't see how the economy could get much better. And and if it stays the same or even gets a little better, I don't see them. I don't see anything changing for them. Maybe if there's progress on Capitol Hill, Dave. Maybe if they can come up with an infrastructure plan. Maybe if they can do something on immigration, which I personally would doubt. But maybe they do something that puts Republicans, independent voters, in a better mood. They're willing to give Republicans a benefit of the doubt. But I think there are two challenges here between now and November. One, compromise is a two-way street. So especially when you look at a topic like immigration, Republicans are going to have to give on immigration, as Democrats will, if you're going to get a package. So Republicans are going to have to give on the issue of amnesty, the scarlet, letter, the scarlet A. You have to give on amnesty. Democrats will have to give on border security. So I'm not sure either party is willing to give. Democrats have probably also made the calculation, we can go into the midterm without an immigration deal, and Trump will suffer the consequences, not us. So there's a political calculation. I think that's probably right. But the other calculation, Dave, is the issue of letting Trump be Trump. There's actually a book of that title out by, by a couple of Trump campaigns, Let Trump Be Trump. It's Trump's impulse. Dick Morris, the political consultant yeah. for Bill Clinton, famously said there were two Bill Clintons, a Saturday night Bill Clinton, Sunday morning Bill Clinton. There was a Bill Clinton of appetites, the Bill Clinton of, you know, very smart politician. There clearly are two Donald Trumps. 
the guy who gets up last night and gives a pretty, what I thought was a pretty effective State of the Union speech, if you focus group that thing and took Donald Trump out of the equation, Republicans would like what they heard. A lot of independents might be on board with it as well. It's Great. Trump himself, I think, who junks up the equation. Yep. The Donald Trump who stands before Congress, Dave, in kind of a hushed voice, if you notice, he didn't get into campaign rally voice that much. It was rather hushed and rather controlled. That guy kind of makes sense. A lot of Republicans get on board with that guy. It's the guy who a day or two later, in fact, we haven't even looked at Twitter today. God knows what he said today. But it's the guy who impulsively gets out of bed on the wrong side of bed, sees something on TV, and says something rather juvenile on Twitter. And maybe it doesn't damage his base. Maybe it doesn't actually change the course of history, but it junks up the conversation and it scrambles everything. And the question is if Donald Trump is really serious about getting stuff done in Congress and having unity and bipartisanship and comity and all that, he's going to have to lay off the impulse of just going to the dark side. I couldn't agree more, and then I ask you a question. Yes. What are the odds of that happening? Put it this way, I'd rather bet with your money than mine on that. Yeah. It's, I, <laughs> right. But this, this, is the, this is the conundrum with Donald Trump, Dave, and that <clears throat> Donald Trump got elected by being this guy. It's sort of like being the bad guy wrestler, if you will, winning the belt that way. He seems to think he can govern the same way as well. I think also, I don't know the man personally, but if I had to play dime store psychologist, I would say that part of him enjoys doing this. Why? He likes getting in people's heads. He thrives on the chaos. He just enjoys the kind of fur flying. Maybe it's the New Yorker in him. Maybe it's the brawler in him, the bully in him. Who knows? Let somebody you know, who knows more about minds than I do figure that out. But I think that's just his MO, and he doesn't know better. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Bless you. Bless you. So that's the question between now and November. Trump made a very good argument about Congress working together. I thought threw out some reasonable ideas. But can Trump be this guy or does he go back to being Donald Trump himself? So stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned. I agree. Right. Okay. So you've talked about looking at the economy in terms of data points. You've talked about looking at presidential approval. Does Donald Trump's presidential approval really matter, Dave? Because, look, he got elected with pretty god-awful approval numbers. I think in 2020, it certainly will be different because, if, assuming he runs uh, and gets the nomination, it will be Donald Trump versus right. some Democrat. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> That's Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth uh, Warren. Mm -hmm. It'll make a difference. So because I think what we found was um, many of people who voted for him didn't particularly like him or think he was qualified. They just liked him better than Hillary, and that's all you have to be in a two-person race. Correct. 2018, <clears throat> there the Democrats have an advantage because the Democrats will try to make the election about uh, Donald Trump, mm -hmm. and they'll focus on the immigration, they'll focus on the women's statements, they'll focus on those sorts of things, and he won't be able to play that off against I'm um, better than Right. Hillary or whoever, whomsoever. So uh, 2020, uh, yes, presidential uh, presidential approval matters more in 2018 than it will in 2020. Okay, but in 2010, Barack Obama had an approval rating of, I think, about 50, 51 percent, did he not? Mm -hmm. and he lost 63 seats in the House. Yep. So in theory, he should not have lost 63 <clears throat> out, that many seats if he's that popular. I think that, right. So I think the difference for Obama was that, first of all, uh, he had tremendous coattails. They had 60 Senate seats, and they had uh, increased their House majority because so of the— So you're suggesting there were House members living on borrowed time. Yeah, uh, House members living on borrowed time. That was yeah. a part of it. Uh, but even more importantly, as uh, we did in some of our polls, uh, many of our polls from 2000, uh, over 2010, mm -hmm. uh, 
his plan, uh, the Affordable Care Act, had mm -hmm. a lot of opposition to it. Uh, of course, and it still does, as you know, played. So that that costs our by our calculation, 24 Democrats who voted for Affordable Care Act lost their seat because they came from districts that were conservative. Right. And we had another six or so that lost uh, because of the votes on the environment. Uh, I don't think the tax, so the, so the question you brought up earlier, mm -hmm. the tax bill, I don't, I don't see that the Democrats can get anything like that. They can try and say it's a terrible tax bill, <clears throat> it's only for the rich. Right. But I think lots of Americans are gonna see some jump in their pay and it's, uh, I'm not, not my job to say how, uh, whether it's trivial or not, but they'll right. see the jump in the pay, and that's not going to be the same as uh, the Affordable Care Act. All right. The official Democratic response last <coughs> night was by a congressman named Joseph P. Kennedy III. He is the son of Joseph P. Kennedy II, <coughs> surprise, who was the son of the late Robert F. Kennedy. <coughs> so that means his great uncles were John F. Kennedy and Ted Kennedy. This is a Democratic blue blood. And, and a student of mine at Stanford. I was going to say, I was going to ask you the next question. Did you teach him at Stanford? Well, I didn't. I didn't exactly teach him, but I, um, and when I was at the business school, I had uh, started the Center for Social Innovation, uh -huh. and uh, he's a genuinely uh, decent young man. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure he still is. He, uh, <clears throat> he came and he, ha he wanted a project. He was trying to do a project for refugee camps around the world, right. and um, <clears throat> he had a rather grandiose plan, and so I talked him out of that. And uh, what he what he and uh, his team did was uh, they went to I think two maybe three refugee camps that mm -hmm. had huge numbers of people. Right. And they set up soccer leagues, <clears throat> and at the end of uh, two summers uh, of doing that, they had I think something like twenty five thousand people in refugee camps, men, women, and children in soccer leagues, mm -hmm. giving them something to do. So he was uh, I thought a very uh, He's deeply concerned about uh, the issues that he talked about, and I think he's, um, I'm just impressed by that project. I thought he was a very smart choice for the Democrats uh, as a respondent. Uh, he is in the House. Uh, he was not one of the 66 House Democrats who voted a few weeks ago to try to move forward an article of right. impeachment. So he's not, he's not on what you might call the loony left on that issue. Mm -hmm. uh, he did not vote against the tax cut. He also didn't vote for it, actually, at interesting timing. His wife was giving birth at the time right. of the tax cut, so <clears throat> right. he didn't have to take a stand on that one, so I guess he was kind of lucky. And he has forged a reputation as being just a very thoughtful young man, yep. and so to have him give a speech in Fall River, Massachusetts, a very blue-collar yep. town in, in Massachusetts, I thought was very smart. But if you listen to the speech, I thought there was one problem here, and that well-delivered, well-written, but he kept talking about a Democratic better deal. Democrats love the word deal, Dave. If it's a new deal, a fair deal, a square deal, they love them deals. So he's talking about a better deal, but there are no specifics as to what the better deal is. There's a vision of America, and the vision is very much what Hillary Clinton's was, that America is a very dark place right now, and fascism is on the march, thinks that Donald Trump, we should all be very concerned, and it's a lot of identity politics, but he's not identifying what the better deal is. Here's the question, Dave. Republicans pick up the House in 1994, running on a very concrete set of ideas called the Contract with America. If the Democratic Party doesn't have concrete ideas come this fall, can you beat something with nothing? I think they're simply going <clears> to <throat> simply going to run against. Mm -hmm. Well, on that Contract with America, as you know, uh, none of it, the ten items on it, eight failed 
in the Senate. Right. Uh, some failed in the House, like term limits. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the other, I think only one of the 10 things uh, got passed, and that was term limiting chairman of committees. Right. And uh, one of the others was struck, <clears throat> struck down by the Supreme Court. So the contract of America, I don't think, hurt. No. But I don't know how much of a help it was. Uh, I, I think in 2018, the Democratic strategy is going to be get out the people, the vote of people who are upset with Trump, in, as they did in Alabama and as they did in Virginia. <clears throat> and I think they're going to uh, they're going to push the uh, Trump issue. It's going to be Trump, Trump, Trump all the time. And and I thought he, I agree exactly with what you said that he did. I don't think he gave a specific plan because <clears throat> I think he's one of the uh, so there's two factions of the Democratic Party right the one two well I mean <laughs> at least two broadly ones that are going to say party with four state of the union responses it's true <laughs> all right so there are more yeah. but I'll go to just two okay. and the one is the left where it's going to be free tuition single everybody's on me Medicare blah right. blah blah and the other is uh, somewhere between that and mansion they've got to say you know, everybody can't have free tuition. Everybody can't be on Medicare. Right. And by by featuring or focusing on the unity, we're all in this together. He avoids uh, those two things. But let me ask, what did you think of? Um, so I was inclined to hope he did well because I I knew him. Uh, but I I thought his delivery wasn't <clears throat> wasn't as effective as it could have been. Um, I thought the delivery was a little <coughs> like, um, have you ever seen a Tony Robbins uh, <laughs> concert? Oh. <laughs> Tony Robbins, the yeah. self-help, self-esteem guys, guru. Uh, very much a presentation like that if I, you know, look, public speaking is, is tough. God knows I probably butchered enough of my time, so I don't want to criticize too harsh, but I thought just he sort of emphasized the wrong words at times, and it was kind of a little off in that regard. But and it's a terrible job to have, right, given the success of this. Like the, the governor of Louisiana, Bobby Jindal. Oh, Bobby Jindal is on. <clears throat> yeah. It just looks like a vampire movie, yeah. and then yeah. Marco Rubio comes yeah. on with a famous swig yeah. of water and all that, and it's yeah. just... No, it's just it's a letdown after a big after a big yep. you know dog and pony show, which is the state of the union. So I thought he did a pretty admirable job yep. that way. Okay. I thought the stage was well set up as an audience of young people, yep. so it looked very democratic in that way. And you know, by God, it's a Kennedy, so it's you know there's there's a hook as much as much as people you know get driven crazy and, by the Kennedys. And we, he was under seventy five. He was under seventy five. <laughs> we we just can't get enough of the Kennedys. It seems so. So there he is. Yep. Uh, you know, it's interesting when you start thinking about the democratic future, Dave. The road might be going through Stanford. Because now you have young Joe Kennedy. People are going to start talking about him. You go into Twitter. There are already Kennedy 2020 hashtags. Yeah. And there's another guy who I think you know Corey. named Cory Booker. Yeah. Yeah. And this gets back to the Democratic conundrum, though, Dave, because Joe Kennedy, if he does have national aspirations, and boy, we are getting ahead of ourselves. Here's yeah. a guy barely in Congress. We're yeah. already putting up there. But he clearly is going to talk about being a regular Joe, like the other Joe, mm -hmm. Joe Biden. <clears throat> Cory Booker is gone to the other side. I remember Cory Booker coming to Hoover a few years ago yep. and sitting in a round table. You probably set up the event because yep. you knew him. And I thought, boy, this is somebody who I could get interested in because he sat down. He was the mayor of Newark at the time, and he talked for about an hour about solving problems. Yep. And boy, the talk was devoid of labels and identity and just a, just a guy who was serious about public service and doing things. Yep. That Cory Booker, that's a Booker 1-0. Booker 2-0 or three or whatever he's on right now, that's the guy who was in the Senate the other week who was dressing down the Secretary of Homeland Security in what could best be called mansplaining. Mm. You know, 
which which is just not pretty. He is playing to a base, the same base that Kamala Harris is playing to. It's a progressive base that you mentioned, the Bernie Sanders base. So this is the Democratic split. My question, Dave, which of those two guys do you think would have a better shot at a national election, a Joe Kennedy or a Cory Booker, based on just those two styles of, of, of presenting themselves? Um, I guess Donald Trump. Um. <coughs> uh, well, uh, probably Corey. He could probably he's been around longer than that. He could probably back off and try to get to the middle right. again. Uh, but it shows the dilemma, right? And and the Democrats made another big mistake, in my view, um, by placing moving the California primary up. Mm -hmm. And as you know as well as I do, moving that California primary up that's going to be a progressive primary. So it's going to drive uh, early results in the Democratic primary uh, to the more left-leaning candidates who are the people who I think have less of a chance to win. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, YouGov Economist, another YouGov Doug Rivers yep. production. They do, a, they do a weekly poll with The Economist. Uh, in mid-January, Dave, they said 30% of the country says the economy is headed in the right direction, the nation's going in the right direction. That number sounds weak, but guess what? That's the highest percentage in five years. 30, <laughs> 37% thinking the country's going in the right direction. 36% think the economy is going uh, in a better direction, which that also sounds weak, but that's also a high watermark for this presidency, 36%, so three in eight Americans, Dave. The new tax law passed just a few weeks ago hasn't approved the president's approval ratings. That was per this on taxes. Yep. This Hugo <coughs> economist poll, Dave, gave uh, Trump a 41% approval rating on taxes yep. and 44% against. Right, so right. that's uh, getting into single digits <clears throat> among independents, particularly. Right. He had uh, he'd started out with a positive number on overall approval among independents, mm -hmm. and so the Republicans and Democrats, pretty much Republicans, have liked him, uh, varies a little, uh, and Democrats haven't liked him right from the get-go. So most right. of the variation in where he stands among independents. So he'd gone among independents on overall approval down 20 points. Mm -hmm. But he's in single digits now right. on that number, which is uh, an improvement. And I think it certainly hasn't because he's t tweeted less. Right. I think it's because of the taxes, and he start, they're starting to generate some uh, belief that, <clears throat> that he's responsible, <clears throat> excuse me, or has some role in the economy. Yeah, I think it also exposes a weakness that Republicans have in the presidency and Congress, Dave. I might trust a Republican to run my company, I might trust a Republican to be my CFO. I would not put a Republican in charge of branding and marketing my company. Republicans, <laughs> Republicans after Ronald Reagan, have done a pretty bad job at selling ideas, Dave. If you go into the Bush 43 presidency, and we have some Hoover colleagues who probably disagree, me, uh, disagree with me on this, he did a pretty bad job, I thought, in terms of trying to sell Social Security reform, trying to sell immigration reform. They either were just ill-timed or he just didn't do a good job of selling the idea. My God, what the Republicans did last year trying to repeal Obamacare and trying to explain that. Do you think any American understood what the Republicans were doing? No, it was just really sloppy no. marketing. So that's why I looked at Wait the Wait till the Democrats have to try and market their product. Exactly. So that's why I looked at the beginning of that speech and I thought, you know, he's actually starting to explain this in a way that might register with people. Uh, more on that uh, YouGov economist poll, Dave. Half the public believes Trump is less competent than previous post-World War II presidents. I think they do. Do you think maybe that's because 90% of his coverage is negative? 
I think <clears throat> a lot of the coverage is negative, but we have, uh, we have, but at YouGov, they've been, as you know, on previous programs following all of his tweets. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that does seem to unite Republicans and Democrats is they wish he'd stop tweeting. Right. Okay. So I think it's partly, partly uh, tweeting. 43% of the people that poll also say that Trump works less hard than other presidents. Well, I think that's probably the media and all the right. pictures uh, going to golf and so, so on. Again, the question, these are caricatures of a president. He doesn't work hard. He's not that smart, so on and so forth. Does this really matter come election time in a midterm election, Dave? Um, maybe not in the specific, but I, again, I think the midterm election, the Democrats are going to focus on Trump mm -hmm. and try and make him the issue. And uh, they'll have good polls. And I think if they don't try to push the economy, they don't try, I, I think if they don't try, if they back off the tax cut, because mm -hmm. if they go after, if they go after them on the wrong issue, mm -hmm. suppose, uh, so the Republicans in 2010, they went after Obama on the Affordable Care Act right. and some of his uh, environmental regulations and, and, and they worked. But you gotta choose the right issue and I think if they choose taxes, and the economy, <clears throat> and keep talking about, uh, you know, the economy isn't that good, and what about inequality? It's, most Americans, don't, that's not the way they think. They don't, they don't pay attention. They don't watch CNN. They don't watch right. MSNBC. They don't watch Fox. The numbers are very small, less than 3 million people watch uh, Fox. The biggest show on Fox is about 2-6, mm -hmm. uh, a rerun of... Um, um, any regular TV show uh, mm -hmm. gets 15, 20 million. So they're, they're not watching. So, so my view is they're not going to know all of those details, but they are going to think there is some extra money here. I've got a job. Consumer confidence index is up now. I, I just think that would be a mistake for the Democrats to focus on that. They should focus on uh, Trump, uh, women's issues, uh, all, all those sorts of things, and see what happens. But okay. they may not. <clears throat> okay, let's suppose you are that independent voter, Dave, what we call in California, what non-party participant, not, yeah, yeah. Uh, NPP. Leave it to the state to come up with. Yeah. Decline to state. Decline to state. Yeah. Always use the three words and one could apply, independent. Yep. You are trying to track news in the election. You're trying to follow things. You're trying to collect data. Where do you turn to for your, for your information? On what happens to the independents? If you're an independent voter, I'm just saying David oh. Brady's advising independent voters on where they should go to read and collect data and so forth. Well, it's interesting because they don't, we do know that they don't pay as much attention and they're, they're the kind of people who really don't start paying attention until, say, in a presidential election, Labor Day. That's when they start to pay attention. Not paying attention, meaning they're not watching. They're not paying much attention. They're on vacation. They're worried about their family. It's all in the background. They don't know much about. Uh, so they're not watching. They're not <clears throat> watching argument TV. They're not watching nope. the nightly news. Nope. Okay. Uh, they're having a life. They're having a life. Okay. <clears throat> and they're not too concerned. So when do they when do they start paying attention? Uh, my guess is they'll start uh, if it follows the pattern for the other. So first of all, let me say, be uh, quite honest, I think that's a very good, very good question. And I, I don't, if you have asked me that about the presidency, I could, I could answer that. Uh, but now I'm going to go look at some data. And, well, and the I, reason I can tell you, Dave, there are <clears throat> millions of dollars will be spent in California on this election cycle based on one idea. When do independent voters actually start paying election? I agree. 
So uh, my guess is they don't they don't start paying attention. So first of all, it's the independents who fall off. In, you know, the average voting difference between a presidential and non-presidential is about 14%. Right. And if you ask who falls off, it's the 14%. Most of them are independents. Mm -hmm. uh, Republicans and Democrats, for strong Republicans, strong Democrats, they're coming out to vote because they're, they care about politics all the time. So it's these independents and leaners that are less likely to turn out, which means that because there's no presidential election and not all that media attention, right. they're, they, don't even, they don't even pay enough attention to, to go out and vote. So the parties, as you point out, spend millions of dollars trying to go out and get them. <clears throat> I, so I don't think uh, it's television. My guess is if I, if I had to bet money on how they're working that, I think they're probably trying to work... Uh, uh, the internet, Facebook, mm -hmm. they're trying to work uh, those sorts of sources because uh, they uh, probably be more. Now, I say that without having information. Right. And, and they're not, Facebook and uh, Google are not about to give us that information. But we do have some stuff on how much attention they pay. Right. So in terms of independent <clears throat> attention ramping up, what, Labor Day? Certainly. Certainly not until then. Yeah, not I, until I Labor think, Day. Yeah, until yeah, so kids, kids back, kids are... Summer vacations over. Kids are back. They're back in school, and you start, you start watching a little TV, and you start thinking about it. And then the ads, mm -hmm. the ads start coming out. You know more about that ad flow than I know, but right. they 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 uh, come up, and they're targeted. The great thing about those ads is they're targeted. You're not going to see, <clears throat> you know. And first of all, you don't see. The great thing about being in California, the one good thing is you don't you don't see any ads in presidential election years. But certain congressional districts are going to see a lot of them. Correct. So ISIS retired, uh, so on and so forth. That's a district's going to get a lot. Um, and the Democrats think they got a shot at uh, five to seven California Republican districts, depending upon if a reasonable Democrat uh, wins uh, the blanket primary. They mm -hmm. want a reasonable Democrat against an incumbent, not a... Uh, left-wing Democrat against an incumbent, and and they do have some. There are there are four or five seats that. Uh, right. oh, one last thing that we didn't mention, uh, should have mentioned, and I didn't when you asked the question earlier about what are you looking at. I, one thing I look at is retirements, mm -hmm. and that that's not looking good for Republicans. First point: open seats, a seat where there's no incumbent. Right. Those seats are easier to flip. Mm -hmm than any other seat. Mm -hmm. And the Republicans have, uh, I think now 34 retirements. Right. And uh, I think I followed it absolutely closely, but uh, a bunch of them are, the last one following the House of the uh, Chairman of Appropriations, that, that's, a, that's a district that could, uh, could go either way. So another thing to look at, and I'll start paying more attention to it when you get the full list of retirees, is how many have retired, how many in open seats, uh, and how many have decided to move? It's one thing if a representative says, I'm going to run for governor, right. but when they say, I'm retiring, right. that's a different ballgame. And they've right. had more of those than you would have expected. So to the discerning, yeah, in fact, one of the reasons that that is, is uh, actually goes back to the contract with America. It's the term limits on committees. If you, can, if you cannot be a committee chair for more than a couple of terms, time was back in the House, you could be the committee chairman forever. And if you talk to actually our yeah. colleagues, Gary Ruffetter, Jim Mattis, will say this is a problem with, in particular, defense appropriations. It's hard to find members of Congress who have institutional knowledge of the Pentagon and who are willing to go along. But you see longtime chairmen stepping away because, you know, they're losing their power. Um, but not all, you're right, not all retirements are correct. Today's news out of Washington, Trey Gowdy is retiring from Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, 
he's a big deal in Washington. He's a big, big yeah. investigator and all that. He wants to be a federal judge. Now, he's from a seat in South Carolina that I reckon is going to stay Republican. Right. <clears throat> On the other hand, back here in California, down in Southern California, by the way, if you want to make money, invest in a San Diego television station this fall because oh. they're going to have at least <clears throat> at least yep. two congressional races that are going to have a lot of money spent, his seat and Duncan Hunter's next door. Uh, but Daryl Issa is stepping down. Issa was a chairman of the yep. House Investigations Committee, but also termed out of that. He's getting out, he says, because he's kind of had his run of Congress, but he also is in one of the most competitive seats. He won by less than a percentage point last time around, and he's you know, he's on the target you, list. You so consider Rohrbacher's partly up for grabs? Uh, I think um, so. The, um, there are at least four in Southern California that are very much in play, and that is uh, Isa, that is Hunter, and that is Rohrbacher, and then Mimi Walters is the uh, fourth mm -hmm. one to look at. She is a uh, first-term member. She is, I think, on the Congressional Committee. But these are vulnerable areas due to shifting demographics and Donald Trump's situation in California. Trump did the worst of a Republican candidate in California, Dave, since Alf Landon. 1936. So that's, that's pretty bad. Before yeah. my time and yours. Yeah. So that's, yep. that's a problem. Rohrbacher is interesting, though. Um, a unique thing about California congressional elections, Dave, Democrats have tried to make them national in the last couple cycles, figuring out, look, we have an incredibly popular Democrat in Barack Obama, and the state is skewing left of center, so we're going to tie it into national Democratic politics and the wave will ensue. It hasn't worked that way. Members like ISA get returned to Congress, even though not by much they survive. Yeah. And that's because congressional races in California tend to become intensely local. What's interesting about Rohrbacher is he's a complicated guy on a lot of levels, and a lot of his tie into Russian connections are just very mysterious and strange, to, to say the least. But he is also just kind of a genuinely flaky guy who fits into that district. He's a big marijuana supporter, for example. Yeah, yes. So not your typical Republican congressman in that way. Guys like that, Dave, they, he's not a cockroach, but he has a cockroach-like survivability, if you will. So don't be surprised if some of these yeah. people actually get returned. The other factor in here, by the way, is the open primary in California, yes. the top two primary. <clears throat> and that has this cuts both ways for Republicans and Democrats in California. On the one hand, it's going to be very difficult in the governor's race, the Senate race, for a Republican to make the runoff in November. But in congressional races, especially in Republican districts, this works very well to an incumbent's benefit because you will have one Republican incumbent, meanwhile three or four Democrats going after each other, and you could get kind of an oddball Democrat running in the general election. Uh, exactly. I just talked to some people about a week ago. I had a lunch with uh, some Democratic strategists who will go unnamed for that reason, and they mentioned uh, exactly that point. They're worried about uh, people too far to the left winning that nomination and going against an incumbent and a chance uh, districts where they had a chance to win they see them as gone and they're they're worried about that right but you know these california seats are part of the 23 so-called blue red districts in america right. dave they voted for hillary clinton for president but they elected a republican for congress and i think there are what four to seven red blues which voted right. for trump and a democrat i think most of them are minnesota actually yep so I don't know. You look at the board across the country, and you know, right now, I don't know if there's a wave or not going on. But you know, Dave, politics are just so scrambled because of this guy in the White House. I, no, I agree. And um, I quote our colleague Mo Fiorina, who said, at this point, he wouldn't be surprised from anything from the Republicans hold the House and the Senate mm -hmm. to Republicans lose the House and the Senate. And I think over the next, uh, for exactly the reason you mentioned. We need to, so what, what, what should we be looking at? The things right. you should, we should be looking at people's reaction to Trump, mm -hmm. 
uh, if the economy stays high, does he, does the reaction, does people still dislike him? That's a huge factor. And then the second thing I would be looking at is what are the Democrats, mm -hmm. when they try to nationalize this, are they going to try to nationalize it on Trump? and uh, not on the tax cut and the economy, uh, but they could make a mistake and, and try and do that. They could, they could push the inequality issue, and I think that, that that's an issue that's probably not a winner for them. We haven't talked any about the Senate races, by the way. We seem to focus mostly on the House, but when you look at the Senate, Dave, I mean, is there a pattern to discern uh, in Senate races compared to House races? Is, does the wave affect them as well? Yeah, it can affect them. It affects them less because the Senate. So I think, uh, for example, there's, uh, <clears throat> I think, say, I think Heidi Heitkamp in um, North Dakota, mm -hmm. I think she's going to win. I think Tester in Montana, a uh, Democrat who's in a state that was huge for Trump. Mm -hmm. I think Manchin in West Virginia, I think uh, he'll win. Summer in, uh, and Donnelly in Indiana, that's one I would say it's a toss up. They could lose that. They could lose McCaskill in right. Missouri. And there are several others like that. But in these, uh, as you go along, <clears throat> we don't know who their opponent is for sure yet. Mm -hmm. And so uh, another example is Arizona. Uh, there's, without mentioning any names, there's one Republican candidate that if they get the nomination, then I'm saying the state could go Democrat. If any other Republican gets it, I'd say Arizona stays Republican. Okay, Same you're, in you're, Nevada. You're, you're saying share it, Joe Arpaio. I'll say it if you won't. Yeah. <laughs> Joe Arpaio puts, <clears throat> yeah. puts in Democratic play. Yeah. Martha McSally, I think, is the yes. other Republican running, and she's yeah. the, the yeah. Air Force pilot, right? Right. Interesting, interesting yeah. candidate, yeah. So it puts that in Democratic play. Nevada would be in Democratic yeah. play, where yeah. Republicans running. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a very interesting chessboard for the Senate this yeah. year. So we'll know as we move along in this program, we'll know more as we know who the, who, who's running against whom. Uh, until that time, it's a little hard to say. Yeah. So final question, Dave, if you're Donald Trump, and on the one hand, you like to talk about unity and bipartisan and working together, but on the other hand, you also thrive on <laughs> bickering. Is it in your best long-term interest to have a Republican Congress or at least a Congress that is split? In other words, I have a theory in politics, Dave. Every <clears throat> politician, it's Shakespearean. Everyone needs a foil. <laughs> You've got to have something to run against. You have some some example to hold up against you. And Donald Trump needs that foil. And I guess right now that's foil would probably be Chuck and Nancy if he had to resort to anyone. So wouldn't a speaker Nancy actually work better for his long-term interest? Might. It turns out that uh, congressmen from districts that are potentially swing districts, they have a higher chance of being reelected mm -hmm. if the president is of the other party. Right. The reason being uh, Obama pulled many uh, Democrats. So just think of it like this. What happened when Obama pushed the Affordable Care Act, he pulled Democrats who were in you know, mixed districts. He pulled them to the left and they paid the price for it. So uh, so the question is, and if you're in one of those districts in a Republican, you can vote against the Republican. But then when you then if it's a big issue that they like, you can vote for them. And uh, so there are a bunch of Democrats who are done pretty well in this so-called blue dog Democrats, the few that are left. Uh, so I think that's right uh, for the president, and the president uh, may be able to play off of that, depending <clears throat> upon what the Democrats do. Right. And I do want to say on that that uh, you take 2006 when the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi became the first speaker, first woman speaker of the House, 
she, uh, the the left wing in the Democratic Party, wanted to impeach President Bush. Right. And she, uh, among others, kept them from doing that. But that was uh, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. And the um, de- Democratic leadership is not looking any younger. Uh, they look they look awfully old, and I resemble that remark. So <laughs> it's it's not a it's not an ageist uh, a- Dave, ageist. Dave, Dave, you're, Dave, you're in California, the home to the America's oldest governor and America's oldest senator. So. Yeah, we, right. we may we may spend a lot of money on the pursuit of youth, but we do not exercise it in our politics. I appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> and I think, by the way, you're younger than Jerry Brown and Diane Feinstein. By a year, I'm younger than Jerry. More, more than that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no, this is my kind of scorched earth theory about Donald Trump, and I'm not saying this is good for the country necessarily. <clears throat> yeah. But if you just want to selfishly look at what might be in his best political interest, if you return to him a Republican Senate and a Democratic House, now he gets, in some respects, the best of both worlds. He will have a Democratic House that's going to have to deal first with impeachment. And she's going to have a very hard time controlling her members from not wanting to impeach that guy because as much as Democrats didn't like <clears throat> George, George W. Bush, what multiple would you apply to Donald yeah. Trump in terms? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's, saying it's like a big lighter to the sun in terms of intensity of hate. Right. So she'd have to deal with impeachment. Meanwhile, on the Senate side, he could at least do judicial appointments. He could do a few small right. things here and there to keep conservatives yeah. happy and kind of keep Republicans interested in his yeah, presidency. And he can still do the stuff on regulation. And precisely, so on. Yeah. precisely. <clears throat> so that might be in his long-term interest to lose the House. I wouldn't say throw an election. I don't believe in throwing baseball games or basketball games. But losing the House may not be the worst thing. No, that's a good point. I think it, that's possibly true. Okay, let's get you out, Dave, on this question. Um, let's give the American voters a break, a time out to go have a life for a couple of months. When should they start looking again at the generic ballot? When should they start looking at the presidential approval? I'm not going to look at uh, generic and presidential approval. I mean, I'm going to look at it, of course, because that's what I do for a living. But I'm going to start <clears throat> thinking about this might be predictive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if it starts to widen the generic ballot after Labor Day, oh, after Labor Day, after wow. Labor Day, then I, because that's I think you know people with kids they get home, kids they got to be done with vacation before they start. I mean you can look a little earlier, but basically uh, start after September fourth or okay. so. What I mean, sorry, whatever Labor Day is. So you're giving America the spring <clears throat> and the summer off from this election, basically. I'm gonna watch it, <laughs> but, uh, but because it matters what because Trump. Because Trump is Trump, as you pointed out earlier, we have to watch what he says and does mm-hmm. uh, over that time period. Right. You could imagine him driving the, his approval numbers down to 35% with various activities. You could imagine it rising closer to 50. <clears throat> now, if it, get, if it goes up over that time period, that's good for the Republicans. Right. Because the one thing we have to think about is if, the, if they lost the House and the Senate, mm-hmm. Then, then the Republicans, the establishment Republicans, of which Trump is not one, then they have to think about what's the party like? What's it going to be? Right. Are we anti-trade? Uh, there's a whole set of issues uh, they're going to have to deal with and that are sort of going to be dealt with by who gets beat. Right. And so that's a process, <clears throat> an ongoing process. And at this point, I think the president has achieved one victory. Mm-hmm. After the Obamacare uh, fiasco, 
there were people in the party talking about, you know, we got to redefine the party. You've got, right. and you've always had a lot of people like the Weekly Standard and Crystal, and uh, and that number was growing. Corker, there were a bunch of senators talking about, and you know that others in the Senate were talking about, what are we going to do about this guy in the party? Right. Passage of the Tax Act not only helped, as we said, bump up public opinion, but I think it helped within the party. Mm -hmm. You're not hearing <clears throat> much anti-Trump stuff. And the speech last night was also, I think, good for that. Uh, right. A lot of applause on the Republican side, a lot of people clamoring to see him. So he's not the anathema, so almost anathema that he was after the Obama. That's, that's a great point. And there <clears throat> is anti-Trump, never Trump energy out there on the Republican side, but it's a lot of consultants, Dave. It's yep. a lot of just, you know, yep. intellectuals who just don't like this guy, can't get on board. And the question is, after the midterm, if they want to get involved in 2020, they've got to decide, first of all, what horse are they going to ride? Are they going to try to convince a John Kasich, who will no longer be governor of Ohio, if he should do it? If Jeff Flake, the retiring senator from Arizona, should jump in? If yeah. Uh, ben Sass, the senator from New Mexico, they've got to find somebody to run in a primary against them if they want to do this. Or, Dave, they have to decide if they want to go nuclear, which would be what? Convincing somebody like a Kasich to give up the Republican Party brand, create his own independent brand, yep. and run in the general election and try to screw up Trump in Ohio and a few Midwestern states and deny him that way. But when Trump gives a reasonable sounding State of the Union and the world's not falling apart and all that, you're right, it becomes a little harder to, to kind of drive that. Yeah, so I, I think we got to watch, we're going to have, that's why <clears throat> this guy's so interesting. Yes. You got to watch him because how he does all these other things uh, sort out. Uh, that analysis you just gave was great. Uh, they're also going to have to think not about who's running in Congress, right. what the party means in terms of uh, in terms of immigration. Right. What's their view? Is it a Bush or is it a Trump view? What right. is it on what is it on trade? And uh, that's going to be they're going to have to decide: Do we go after? Do we get somebody to run against him? All that stuff. I kind of uh, liken this, Dave, to listening to the New York Yankees day in and day out during the regular season. I have a guilty pleasure. I take my dog for walks on afternoons during baseball season. I have the MLB.com app on my phone, and I can listen to any MLB radio broadcast around the country, and I'm old enough where I love to listen to baseball on the radio. I like to listen to the Yankees in particular. Why? Every New York Yankees Dave game in the regular season is like game seven of the World Series. If the Yankees lose, oh, my God, the season is over. What yeah. do we do? It is day-to-day -day drama that is just out of control. The Trump presidency is kind of the same way. It's just day-to-day -day intensity with this guy. Where yes. One week we think he's dead. The next week we think he's responded. The next week he's in trouble again. It's just this ongoing soap opera. But you're suggesting that perhaps we need to kind of step back and just maybe tune in a little later this year and see where the approval rating is and see where the generic number is and then try to yep. make sense of the situation. Right. That's, that's my view. Okay. Dave Brady, enjoy the conversation. Same here. Thank you. You've been listening to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast on the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States. If you've been enjoying Area 45, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you wouldn't mind, please spread the word, get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution is online at www.hoover.org. And while you're there, do yourself a favor and sign up for Hoover's Daily Report, which delivers the best work of David Brady and his Hoover colleagues to your inbox every weekday. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at Hoover Inst. That's at Hoover I-N-S-T. David Brady does not have a Twitter feed. I do not. Would you like me to set up one for you? No. No. <laughs>
<laughs> I do. I'm Bill Whalen. My, my Twitter feed is at Hoover Whalen. Uh, join me if you'd like. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of Area 45. Until then, take care. As always, thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.